This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the new witches. <laughs> hey guys. Hey guys. Hey What's y'all. Up? Take two because man, like we <laughs> recorded this entire episode already, had technical difficulties. This is our take two. Yeah. Anyways, I'm Maria. <laughs> I'm Laura. <laughs> and thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is our, I believe this is our last spooky episode of the year, right? Uh, I feel like isn't our last one like or closer to new year's maybe wait let me see let me look up Trello. well we have creepy stories with laura later <laughs> this month right and we have our cauldron side chat and then our next witchy one right yeah this might be the last no how can it be i need to look at a calendar no, i don't know wait, what time is anymore calendar. we didn't add what is time even so this comes out the sixth. Added. so oh, the yeah. 30th the 30th. The okay. 30th will have one last one. My bad. This is our penultimate spooky episode of the year. <laughs> um, it's your last true crime of the year and my last paranormal. That's right. Okay. Year. That's true. It is my very last true yeah. crime. Wow. The the last time we recorded this a couple hours ago, <laughs> we opened <laughs> with talking about Christmas wrapping. And Yule, Yule gifts yes. slash Christmas, just holiday gift wrapping and how we need to start a business. Yes, we did. <laughs> because we both love wrapping gifts. <laughs> and you have amazing calligraphy. I have my uh, amazing calligraphy. That's right. Um, Yeah, I love wrapping gifts. I know this is like repeated for you, but for our listeners, like, I don't know. I even like have a little Pinterest board called Holiday Cheer where I pin not just like holiday decor ideas, but ideas for gift wrapping. I just love everything that has to do with gift giving, just like thinking about mm-hmm. something that this person would like, purchasing that gift, and then how am I going to present it to them? So just like wrapping it, the ribbons, am I going to use twine? And then I often, you know, do my special calligraphy on the like name tags, little tags uh-huh. to from thing. Um, like to I don't a- remember any of what I said. I think you said something like, oh, you like to use like black craft paper. Yeah. Yeah. Black craft paper is normally what I would, oops, do. <laughs> um, but this year, just not as into trying to make things pretty, I guess. I got uh, my wrapping paper from Target because it was right there and it was on sale. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's Nightmare Before Christmas and A Christmas Story. I love that so much. Yeah, we have his and hers wrapping paper. You need to take pictures. I want to see what these gift wraps. Oh, I will. Look like. <laughs> but we can't like put anything out until I guess Christmas Eve because uh, the dogs will probably get curious. Oh my gosh! Same with Twix. Yeah, especially since he's received gifts that are wrapped and oh. he's used to opening his own little gift on yeah. Christmas. So when he sees wrapped gifts, he immediately he's like, "All right, I'm opening them all because yeah. they're all mine, right?" <laughs> This is what happens every year. <laughs> it is so cute to see him like work his way in. But yeah, I also love using like brown craft paper. Mm-hmm. 
but this year I also got not lazy. I mean, we have the craft paper. I bought like a jumbo industrial roll at this point because now my mom has like when I started doing it, she's like, oh, my God, I love the look of it. So she also uses craft paper. But I think to keep track of all of our gifts and also because I felt like doing things a little simpler this year. It's a stressful year, guys. Yes, it is. You know, cut yourself some slack, right? I it's very pretty. Um, it's a wrapping paper designed by Rifle Paper Company, and if you know them, you know that they have gorgeous, like adorable, um, like designs. And so, yeah, I got that at Barnes and Noble using that with some white ribbon and calling it a day. Love it. Yeah, I actually had a former coworker who would wrap all of her gifts in like fabric scraps. I love that. That's very friendly too. Yeah, very zero waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and they looked pretty. Yeah, they were super pretty. I know Lush does that too, where you can buy the fabric or you can ask them to wrap it for you in the fabric. Yeah, Lush Cosmetics. Uh huh. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we also talked about how I'm very much a Leslie when it comes to yeah. gift giving. It's just awesome. I don't know. I like that's how I sh- that's one of my love languages is gifts. Mm-hmm. It's that one of mine. I don't know that it's one of mine. It might be. I get a lot of anxiety around gifts sometimes because I like have in my head like I know the perfect gift, but like mm-hmm. I guess it's more financial anxiety that I get. I want to give everyone the perfect gift. Yeah, but. It's been a while since I've had the money <laughs> to give mm-hmm. them the perfect yeah. gifts. But I love I, I do love giving gifts. I do like it a lot. Yeah. It's just really fun. It's funny because it's like, I don't know, you grow up loving this time of year because you're gonna get gifts. Yeah. And then as I've gotten older and was able to purchase gifts for people, yeah, it's definitely a I I just love this time of year because I don't, I, I don't even think about like, oh, what could I get? It's all about like, I cannot yeah. wait to get people things. And I yeah. usually I usually go over budget. I think last year was the only time I've been able to keep within my quote unquote budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know. I like spoiling people. I also got that from my dad. My dad, you know, would get us gifts for like for random reasons. I do that for Gavin, too. I'm like, I bought you this thing because I thought of you. I'm more like um, that when I have like excess money. Yeah. I'm like a big fan of that. And then when I don't have it, it's like I walk around with like, oh, I wish I could get this for them or get that for them. Sometimes they will, but it'll be much more practical. Honestly, the best gifts are often the ones that they're going to use every day. Yeah. That's I'm big on practical gifts. Oh, yeah. We talked about this, I think, in another episode. Like, I I forget if I cut it out or not, but um, Gavin's first gift to me was very, very practical. It was a kitchen (laughs) knife. Yes. He would come over and he would cook for me. And and apparently I had no knives that were up to par. They were all very dull. And he got me this very nice chef's knife. That was his very first Christmas gift to me. That's so cute, though, especially when you told me the rest of that story. Oh, yeah. So apparently um, when I opened it, it was in front of his folks. And um, his mother was like, oh, my God, that's what his father got me for our first Christmas. And they had not talked at all about it. Yeah. Like I Gavin is the such cutest thing ever. He's such a carbon copy of his dad that it's insane. <laughs> and I think, yeah, it's it's very adorable little detail. I like that a lot. But yeah. Oh, and then uh yes, so then in our previous recording <laughs> that failed, um, this is the part where I told Laura how I'm sending her a little token of love in the mail. That's so, right. And I said I can't say anything in return. 
because you were like, I wanted it to be a surprise. So you're going to have to like feign the surprise when you text me be like, oh, my God. I mean, you'll be surprised. Obviously, you won't know what what I sent you. But right. apparently, you know, obviously, once you get um, a random box that is addressed to you <laughs> that you didn't order, that's from me. <laughs> we'll have to uh, make sure because we so what we're doing this year, since we're not seeing family is our parents are sending us packages whatever they're ordering they're having it sent here and i have to i always have to ask him because i get confused i think if it's sent to me Mm -hmm. it's for me to wrap for him oh and if it's sent to him it's for him to wrap for me oh so that you guys are both surprised that's cute yeah i know i realize i'm like i probably should tell you about your package coming because it's going to be addressed to you but i don't think there's any gift there was no like gift message option. Oh. <laughs> um, so I'm like, she's going to open this and be like, who the fuck sent this to me? <laughs> <laughs> Your stalker. <laughs> it's me. Haven't had I'm in the tree while. as we speak. <laughs> it's the window peeper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, you know, I think it's also we have to feel very fortunate, too, because so many people are, I think, in a... I don't think I know, like in hardship right now, people that yeah. have lost their jobs um, and or they're they're they've had to get a pay cut, just, you know, different circumstances because of oh, this yeah. pandemic. Um, so I don't want to, I don't know, sound too privileged that, you know, I, I don't want to be rubbing our gifts in people's faces. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it doesn't no, come no. off like that. Yeah, I the way I've been looking at it, because this year has been a little bit harder for us gift wise but for those that you know are still able to do relatively like what they would normally do i just think they're fortunate they're super mm-hmm. fortunate and i don't i don't i never see it as like you know rubbing it in anyone's face yeah it's a good thing i think yeah yeah well on that note we'll start off with true crime like we usually do for spooky yeah and as promised um i have a holiday true crime and because i wanted to be diverse and not just do christmas true crime um you know i looked up (laughs) hanukkah true crime which got there wasn't a lot and the things i did get i'm like i don't really want to talk about this um (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then or like uh yule true crime kwanzaa true crime like ramadan true crime like anything around like holiday around this time true crime and I just have to say that um, minorities are much less fucked up than white males in their 30s. Yep. <laughs> that are a Christian. <laughs> I feel so, like I made a joke about white people and I don't remember what it was now. Oh, I think it was that um, you got uh, you got to keep your eye on, on Graham for a couple more years. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was one of them. I got two more years. He fits the uh, 30s white yes. male. Yeah, and moment. I'm just starting with Gavin, so here's a, here goes another nine years for me <laughs> keeping keeping my eyes on him. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah. So on top of a Christmas true crime, I also was able to find an old timey true crime. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like it's been a while since we've done one so old. I think the right. last one was when Melanie covered the brides in the baths murders Mm -hmm. which is a great one so it was you know i think it's great to 
bring um, bring an old timey one back. Yeah. I mean, not that that one exactly, but this one took place in the twenties, and some of you might have heard about it. It is the Lawson family massacre that occurred on Christmas Day in nineteen twenty nine. There have been some podcasts I know that have covered this, right. so you might have already heard it, but perhaps not. But yeah, so here it goes. Uh, So the Lawson family massacre happened on Christmas Day in 1929 in Germantown, North Carolina. Um, A sharecropper, Charlie Lawson, murdered his wife and six of his children. And this kind of homicide is otherwise known as familicide. Familicide. Familicide? I don't know. I'm going to say familicide. Familicide. Yeah, I think that sounds right. I'm going to go into some information just on Familicide in general. So, familicide is a type of murder or murder suicide in which a perpetrator kills multiple close family members in quick succession, most often children, relatives, spouse, siblings, or parents. I do also want to preface that this section of me covering familicide, this is just honestly just a copy paste of Wikipedia, so don't at me for plagiarism, (laughs) (laughs) please. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah. So if you wake, if you wiki this, this is exactly what it says. (laughs) Um, so yeah. So in half the cases, the killer lastly kills themselves in a murder suicide. If only the parents are killed, the case may also be referred to as parasite, not to be confused with parasite, Parasite. the 2019 Oscar winning film. (laughs) Right. <laughs> or I guess it came out in 2018. It won in 2019, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Weird. Uh, time's gone by when you could go to the movies <laughs> in a crowd of people. Do you have that where, like, you're watching a film or a movie or whatever, and people are, you know, because it's in the before time, before COVID, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I miss that. No. You know, just they sit down on bleachers, like a crowded bleacher, and you're like, oh, th- not a care in the world for how close people are to them. I actually have the opposite. Like, everything I watch now, I see people get close to each other. I'm like, ugh, they should be wearing a mask. Well, I get that, too. <laughs> <laughs> My dad, especially. We cannot watch one show with him being like, oh, COVID! <laughs> if they're, like, touching. <laughs> it's, I, I, I very much feel like, just the, like, I don't miss, really... I think I'm just weird, to be honest. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> it's introvert versus extrovert. That too. Perspectives. <laughs> a little bit of a germaphobe here too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited to see, like, to normalize masks. Like, after this is all over, when mm-hmm. it's, like, flu season, to be like, oh, it, yeah, I'll put on my mask. Mm-hmm. And it will be, honestly. Like, Asia's already been there. Yeah. You know? And I think it's going to be here to stay. Not maybe, like round season round the clock all the time but in maybe in some areas or gonna be a norm like if you are sick and you go go to work or go to the store wearing a mask yeah unless of course you're a republican which in that case (laughs) no i know there are republicans that still wear masks but i guess science deniers it's the science deniers particularly the trumpers um Mm -hmm. i'd like to hope they see the light of day but we'll see anyways on to all the trumpers i'm surprised by some people anyway oh Good to know. Well, yeah. back to this much brighter note about family homicide. Yeah. Um, death. <laughs> back to the death. 
Um, so where all family members are killed, the crime is referred to as family annihilation. Yeah, that's right. That's the yikes. That's the, I mean, they're all yikes, but that's like mm, big yikes. Soups yikes. Yeah. Um, so now into some statistics that I promise won't be too boring, but it's really rather interesting. Mm -hmm. So between 1900 and 2000, so pretty much all of the 20th century, um, there were 909 victims of mass murder in the U.S., and that's just the U.S. And a mass murder is defined as four or more victims within a 24-hour period. Of those, more than half occurred within, imme- within an immediate family. So, which is that's a lot. Wild. Yeah, half of mass murders are is is familicide. Mm-hmm. Just crazy. Although the familicide cases are relatively rare, they are the most common form of mass killings. However, statistical data is difficult to establish due to reporting discrepancies. Which mm-hmm. I think you have to account for that in any sort of study. Uh, familicide differs from other forms of mass murder in that the murderer kills family members or loved ones rather than anonymous people, uh, which has totally different psychodynamic and psychiatric significance. Yeah. Um, but the distinction distinction is not always made. So there's a study of 30 cases um, of familicide in Ohio. And it found that most of the killings were motivated by a parent's desire to stop their children's suffering. So thinking that they're like, whatever the cons- whatever circumstances are going through, that they're better off dead. Right. Rather than going through whatever it is that's happening. According to ABC News contributor and former FBI agent Brad Garrett, people responsible for killing their families tend to be white males in their 30s. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. That's yeah. where I said the thing. Honestly, just isn't it also common that this is like when no, I'm totally pulling this out of my ass, so don't <laughs> take it with a fucking grain of salt. But I feel like this is also the statistic of like um, serial killers in their prime. Like yeah, I know that probably. it can happen in, in any age, but I feel like it's often it culminates you know, into white males in their 30s, white mm-hmm. males in their 30s, white people get your shit together. <laughs> especially white males if you're a white man and you're 29 and you want to give a gift to yourself maybe gift yourself some therapy Ooh, good one get yourself some therapy any all through your 30s all Mm -hmm. through your 30s let's just get these numbers down yeah let's do it nothing wrong with getting some therapy Uh, if Mm -hmm. anything it's amazing to get therapy it really is so many of these crimes occur in august And if you can guess why, maybe not, it's because it's right before school starts, which may delay detection and investigation if, like, the children are missing. Right. I do. Okay. So when you said this, I was thinking, I didn't say it. Why not July? That's, like, an entire month of no school. School would get out in, like, June, and then they'd go back August, late August, September. I guess maybe, like, just because of the deadline of, like, this is when school starts. Maybe these people are pro- <laughs> <They're> procrastinators, too. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Oh, that's, com- that's coming up. <laughs> I mean, um, Sid is rather impulsive. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, <laughs> that might there be why. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, in Australia, 
So it's not just in the U.S., guys. There's fucked up people everywhere. In Australia, a study was done of seven cases, which is like, that's so few cases. I'm not sure how much you should take, you know, yeah. into account this. But um, of these seven cases uh, of familicide followed by suicide, so uh, murder-suicide familicide, mm-hmm. in which um, they noticed uh, marital separation followed by custody and access disputes were identified as an issue. And some factors such as marital discord, unhappiness, domestic violence, sexual abuse, threats of harm to self or others were found in varying degrees. Which is kind of like, well, yeah, duh. I feel like the family has to be rather, in most cases, the family's probably like going through some shit for someone to feel like I got to take them out. Yeah. Happy people don't do this. Which is kind of scary because then you get those killers that are of sound mind. And they know exactly what the fuck they're doing. And they still those do are that. The those scary are the ones. Those are the really scary ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the study, it was not clear what could be done in terms of prevention. So all around good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A lot of great news from Australia. <laughs> right. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah. Great. Great. A literature review done in 2018 noted contextual and offense characteristics of familicide. So among the 63 articles reviewed, 74 to 85% noted relationship problems or separation, so similar to the one in Australia. This article also found evidence of financial problems, intoxication, and use of firearms. Yep, okay. Which, yep, yep, checks out, checks out. Uh, This literature review unveiled that 71% of these offenses were motivated in regard to conflict between parents and the other 29% associated to the perpetrator's situation in life. Near 30% of it was pretty much just some circumstance changed. Right. And not necessarily had to do with the family. Um, Because, yeah, I'm I'm thinking back to in the Unsolved Mysteries, there's that Paris or not Paris. It's French. Mm -hmm. It's a French uh, case of like a a dad that did that committed family side. Right. And everything in the family was going great. Yeah. It was just like, I think his financial situation, he was like in financial ruin or something like that. And he felt like rather than going through the embarrassment, he had to just kill them all. Therapy. So sometimes that happens, too. Doesn't yeah. have to be conflict in the family, which is <laughs> scary. Lastly, yeah. this article reported two studies, one of which found that many of the motives involved feelings of abandonment, psychosis, and my favorite, narcissistic rage. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to be a fucking narcissist to feel like you need to take out your whole family, like as if you have that right. Right. It's just. Ugh. Gross. Um, the, the other study found that 60% of these perpetrators were suicidal and 40% homicidal, which is, like, interesting. I feel like, aren't they all homicidal if they committed familicide? But yeah. Maybe it's, like, Always homicidal, but not always suicidal. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Because, like, the guy, I, I can't remember their names, but... The guy that I just mentioned in France, like he didn't kill himself. He was out. He's still at large. He's out in the run and he, he just oh, went missing. Yeah, yeah. He was never found. So, I mean, 
maybe he went into the wilderness and did kill himself, but most people think he's yeah. per like his movements that he's out in the run. We still don't know where he is. Ah! If you're listening, I don't know so why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really have a message for you. Just, I don't know, turn yourself in. <laughs> and fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> the internal logic of like family annihilation, it stems from uh, a few different sources. So David Wilson of Birmingham City University has divided these cases into four groups. Anomic, disappointed, self-righteous, and paranoid. That's like has Mm -hmm. this classification of four different kinds of family annihilators. So in these different types, I'll describe each. So the anomic killer sees his family purely as a status symbol. When his economic status collapses, he sees them as surplus to requirements. Mm -hmm. So possibly like the French dude. Yeah. Um, The disappointed killer seeks to punish the family for not living up to his ideals of family life. The self-righteous killer destroys the family to exact revenge upon, in Wikipedia said the mother, but I feel like upon somebody in the family, right? Yeah. Um, In an act that the killer blames them right finally the paranoid killer kills their family in what they imagine to be an attempt to protect them from something even worse right and so um and obviously i think killers can fall into more than just one mm-hmm. category of these categories cuz i feel like motivation can be motive can be as simple but also as complex right so yeah, yeah. With all of that being said, we'll now dig into this family massacre, the Lawsons. So a little background. Um, So the patriarch of the family was in the killer was Charlie Lawson. And Charlie married his wife, Fanny, who's um, she was Fanny Manning. That's her maiden name. Uh, They married in 1911 and they had. A total of eight children. So Fanny Yo. was quite the fertile myrtle. Yes, yeah, she um, was. They had eight <laughs> children to oh, gosh, right? Eight children together, um, but their third, William, died of an illness at just six years old, leaving seven surviving mm-hmm. children. In 1918, uh, Charlie's brothers Marion and Elijah they move out to I forget where they originally were from, but mm-hmm. the brothers move out to Germantown, uh, North Carolina or the area at least. And so Charlie decides to follow his brothers and bring his wife and children along. And they're an agricultural family. Like his brothers were farmers. He was a farmer. And so once they reach Germantown, they actually rent a tobacco farm at first. And then they save up enough money to buy their own farm, um, to be their own like tobacco farmers. And the farmhouse and farm that they bought was on Brook Cove Road, which I believe is actually still intact question mark but fenced off oh okay like there's uh i'm not quite sure i think it's maybe it's not i could totally be wrong but i feel like in my research i saw like more recent photos of Uh the structure and you could say like a chain link fence around it because i'm sure they're trying to you know get people to not break in this family charlie um kills his family on christmas day But a very interesting note about this case is a few days before Christmas, Charlie takes his family into town and he basically 
kind of goes on a shopping spree. He buys completely new outfits for all of them. They get to dress to the nines and they decide to have a family portrait taken. Oh, I just had a thought about this, but we'll circle back. Okay. There's, I'll, I'll go through also like the ages so you kind of get a sense of how old all the members are. So there's Charlie Lawson, who is 43, his wife, Fanny, 37, um, and then there's seven children, Marie, who's 17, she's the oldest, then Arthur, who's 16, Mabel, who is seven, Raymond, age 12, and Mary Lou, who is the baby, she's only four months. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they go into town, dress the nines, they're about to take this family portrait taken. At the time, it was, when people look back at this photo, a lot of not just investigators, but just like speculators think that it was really odd because this is a working class farmer in the late 20s. This was very, very uncommon for a person of his like social economic stature to be able to afford this. So right. people are like, was he like saying, fuck it, let me just spend all my money because I'm going to kill these people anyways. Give him like one last, last nice hurrah or whatever. Let me give them some nice outfits for a special occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm, you know, I don't know if maybe they dressed up again for Christmas Day, but I was thinking more like burial. Outfits. Oh, oh, yeah, that that too. That was my thought. But yeah, so like I, so I looked it up because I kept hearing like this was so uncommon he wouldn't have been able to afford it uh, if he was like an average, you know, rural working class worker. But I was, I, I tried to find the dollar amount of how much portraits cost. Uh huh. And. All I could get was that it was worth about a week's worth of wages for the average farmer Joe. Mm -hmm. And on top of all the clothes that he had, he had to buy clothes for nine people. Right. Like nice clothes. So with that, all of this was really two to three work weeks worth of wages for the average farmer of his like stature, economic stature. Right. So people are like, wow, like this was like a sign mm-hmm. of what was to come. But other people also say, you know, um, well, OK, so the the thing about like, oh, the, you know, he knew it was to come. So it's saying that the, the photo was a sign of premeditation, mm-hmm. that it wasn't like a spur of the moment thing. Um, however, there's others that argue like, well, you know, Charlie, he did just like buy his own farm two years ago. Um, he could have like made money and whatnot. And there was also an associated press wire that went out on the day after the murders that described Charlie Lawson as, quote, well, a well-to-do farmer, unquote. So maybe he was like actually doing well for himself. Right. So some argue that a pre-Christmas shopping spree plus portrait might have actually been totally reasonable. Yeah. Because like that would be a time to do that. So many people get their photographs taken, like family photographs for Christmas. Mm -hmm. So like maybe that was, you know. A normal thing. I mean, if you Google, you can just go ahead and Google like Lawson family portrait, portrait Christmas mm-hmm. massacre, whatever. It'll come up in Google images. But for those who like don't have time to do that or you're driving or something, I'm going to describe what it looks like. Obviously, it's black and white. It's 1929. But slight sepia tones. Oh, slight. You know, ever in the slightest little haziness. Um, uh, so the nine people <laughs> in it, obviously the family. So standing at the back, so there's two rows of people standing at the back of the photograph from left to right are um, the oldest son, Arthur, 
who is again 16, does not look 16. No, he does not. He looks like a full grown man. Yeah. Like, I think taller you said, than like, everybody. He, he's taller than everybody. He's like a strapping man. Obviously, he likes works at the farm. He looks very like strong built, not like yeah. bulky, but you know, not as pale as like all the women in the photo. Like you can right. tell he, he like, works outside. He works outside. Yeah. 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 Um, next to him is Marie, 17, who um, she's wearing like a nice kind of, I don't know. It's hard to tell whether it's like velvet or taffeta, but it's kind of like some sort of iridescent kind of fabric dress with a white collar. That very typical like 20s collar too. Oh, yeah. 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 And she has uh, her hair styled in the iconic 1920s finger wave hairstyle. Which is like, I was, when I noticed that, I'm like, he didn't just pay for the outfits. He must have also paid for her to get her hair done. Oh, maybe. Because to do that finger wave, I believe you needed a particular curling iron that's like super, super skinny. And I doubt that they had electricity in that farm. Well, they used, for a lot of the tools, they would heat it up on a stove. Oh, well, that's or like true, too. In, in, a, in a thing. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I wonder if, like, he also paid, like, the women to, like, get their hair done. Like, the two older, like, the, right. the mom and, and the oldest, Marie. Yeah. Because um, in her, it's a look. Like, her hair yeah. is looking sharp. Um, And she is, this is kind of unnerving. She's, like, looking directly at the camera. Like, she is, like. Yeah, she doesn't look stoked. She's not stoked on life. <laughs> I'll no. say that much. Um, it's 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 very unnerving. She's really like making full eye contact with the the camera, whereas some are looking off to the side, mm-hmm. like her father, who's to the right of her, the patriarch Charlie. He's actually looking slightly to the left. He has a soft smile. Um, he's also wearing a new suit. It's like a three piece suit. Both him mm-hmm. and and Arthur have like these brand new three-piece suits and Arthur like has kind of like a pinstripe suit on and then finally um to the most right is the mom Fanny and she's kind of in the shadows so you can't really tell much of what she's wearing but she has her hair back she doesn't look too happy either she's also gazing kind of to her left and she is holding in her arms four-month-old Mary Lou right um in front of the parents um and the two eldest siblings and the baby are the four um, young children. And they're sitting on like a wicker bench. So from left to right are four-year-old James, seven-year-old Maybell, two-year-old Raymond, who the is just cutest. like the cutest thing. He's like slouched down in his little suit. He's like turtle turtling <laughs> into his suit because it's like a little too big. And he's yep. like squished between his big, big brother and sister. Um, and then finally, there is 12-year-old Carrie, and she's kind of the only one who's, like, sitting up straight, and yep. she's wearing a white dress, so she really, like, stands out. So that's what the picture, the portrait looks like. Yeah. Um, definitely, if, you know, you have time later, definitely look it up. It's it's haunting to see, but it's, it's you know, I think there's a lot of the, the family dynamics that is subtly revealed in that photo. Right. All right, so now the chain of events on the day of the murders. So we've reached December 25th, 1929. Snow is out, and 17-year-old Marie wakes up early 
and she decides to make a Christmas cake. Um, she bakes it in two layers and in separate pans and she ices them. And yeah, so she's like just getting ready for whatever family festivities are going to happen, but not actually happen later in the day. Right. And in the afternoon, the two middle girls, Carrie, 12, and Mabel, 7, um, they decide that they want to go and visit their aunt and uncles. So Charlie, with his brothers Elijah and Marion, they all lived in farms neighboring each other. Yeah. I mean, not like right next to each other. They're still farms, so I'm sure they it was like quite space. a... Yeah, it was a walk, but still, like, they were all in the same area together. Yeah. Which I think is so great. But, yeah, so they're like, you know, like, let's go and see, you know, on an uncle, wish them a Merry Christmas, hang out there for a bit. So they leave the farmhouse to go to their on and uncles. And to go there, they have to pass the tobacco barn. So the property only had the two structures, the tobacco barn and then the actual farmhouse where the family lived. Oh, okay. And farmhouse, it wasn't very grand. It was more like a cottage. Yeah, I looked it up. It, yeah, it's it's tiny. It's pretty small space. Um. But they have to pass the tobacco barn, and that is where their father, Charlie Lawson, is waiting with a shotgun. Now, I know we put the content warnings at, at you know ahead of all of these spooky episodes, be, usually because of the, the true crime. Um, right. But I want to warn you, like, what follows is just a lot of brutality on children. So if you don't have the stomach for children being harmed... You know, fast forward like, you know, three to five minutes. Yeah. Because I'm going to describe how each of these people die. So as Carrie and Mabel round the corner, Charlie shoots his daughters. He then bludgeons them to make sure they are dead. And he places their bodies inside the barn. He then walks back to the family farmhouse. Fanny is sitting on the porch and he guns her down. He then enters the home where he finds and shoots his eldest, 17-year-old Marie. And the younger boys, you know, obviously scared of what's happening. Uh, James and Raymond, they run and hide from their father. But obviously, it's not that big of a place. Yeah. Charlie finds them and he doesn't shoot them. He just bludgeons them to death. The final victim is four-month-old Mary Lou, who is still in her crib and... He bludgeons her to death, and her cause of death is a fractured skull. Oh, poor baby. I, I know. I, I, I legit cried when I read this, like, first doing this research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really heavy to just think that somebody is capable of that. Yeah. It's just beyond me. Um, and if you're keeping track, uh, you might have noticed that there is a child missing. Uh, yep. 16-year-old Arthur. The eldest boy. So on Christmas Eve, with his father's permission, Arthur had walked with a friend to Walnut Cove, which I'm guessing is just like a neighboring town, mm-hmm. to buy ammunition for rabbit hunting, which was really popular to do on Christmas Day. Like that was, I guess, in the area, people would just would Christmas Day would go out rabbit hunting. And so right. he was preparing for that. And so he had not come back yet, making him the sole survivor. So, obviously, Charlie Lawson murdered the family while his son was gone. Some speculate Lawson feared that Arthur would intervene, like, overpower him and interrupt Mm -hmm. the killing spree. And also, you think, like, you know, did he let him go because he wanted to spare his oldest son, like, leave him as a legacy, maybe? 
Or did he think that, you know, oh, he'll be back eventually and he just by luck didn't make it back in time? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Right. Um, and so the discovery of the 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 bodies and just like the scene, it's a little debated on who was first on the scene. Right. Um, but one source says that when Arthur returned back home, he found his family members slain. And um, this is con- this part is consistent on both reports on whoever first discovered them. Um, the family's arms were crossed over their chests and pillows underneath the heads of those slain in the farmhouse and then rocks under the heads of the two daughters that were killed at the barn. You know, obviously, like, sign of remorse or, like, respect. Yeah. For them, <laughs> respect. How about you start by not fucking killing them in the first place? You mean that would be good. But, um, yeah. So I guess, you know, Charlie took his time, you know, placing, posing the bodies that way. Uh, so some other sources say that it was actually, like, the family, like, one of the Charlie's brothers and his family that arrived on the scene to, like, stop by and, and wish the family a Merry Christmas. And then they discovered. Mm-hmm. Discovered them like that. Um, but either way, whoever it was, whether it was Arthur or, you know, one of the brothers, the they, the alarm is raised, authorities come, people begin gathering at the Lawson farm. Most of these people weren't even law enforcement or even there for emotional support. There was actually a ton of people that were there, like, just as spectators. Like, they were... Right. Because that was... As news... You were allowed back then. Yeah, yeah, it was just, it was really, it's crazy when you look back at all these, yeah, all these old-timey cases, like, I guess just the morbidity of it, or, like, the macabre, sensational, like, interest in murders really, like, drew a lot of people in, and they didn't really do much to, like, control people, like, yeah, they didn't cordon off the area much, I'm sure, Um, but yeah, these people were driving or even walking to the farm. To, like, gawk at the gruesome crime scene. Hey, it's Christmas. I heard there was a murder. You guys want to go check it out? Yeah. Like, I mean. <laughs> like, well, how else did that go down? <laughs> well, it's crazy. But you think back to, like, 2017 when we had the the firestorm. And mm-hmm. after the whole aftermath, there was a ton of people that were coming here simply to just see the damage of the fire. So there right. is that morbid curiosity in humans to see destruction yeah. and death. Um, it's very, very interesting. I'm obviously not going to go too much into that psychology, right. but and it was just like as you said, so much more allowed back then. Yeah. So yeah. So at this point, Charlie is missing. Like he was not to be found when the bodies were first discovered. But hours after people first arrived at the scene, there was a single gunshot heard in the nearby woods. So Arthur and a police officer go into the woods and they find Charlie's body. That really makes me wonder, like, how mm-hmm. was he planning that all along and just was, like, coming to terms? Or was he just kind of like, what else am I going to do? I think it was the latter. Because when they were trying to find, like, when they were finding evidence to kind of distinguish what his, like, last kind of acts or movements were, mm-hmm. they were able to find evidence that he washed his bloody hands in a nearby creek. And they also found a shit ton of his footprints circling around this one tree. And they said that there were so many footprints that authorities speculate that he must have been pacing it for hours. Right. Which, you know, we can't know for sure, but 
it does suggest that maybe he was contemplating if not what he had just done at least like what his next move would be right but yeah other stuff that was found on charlie's body were some letters or notes unfortunately these notes did not explain why he did what he did (laughs) it's actually not funny but it's like it's very nonsensical so these notes these two notes were found in his pockets and written on tobacco auction receipts the first one read trouble can cause dot 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 (laughs) decided not to finish that (laughs) sentence (laughs) and then the other simply said nobody to blame Trouble Which, can cause nobody to blame, maybe? Oh. Yeah, put the two together. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, like, dude, there is somebody to blame and it's you. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> I wonder if that's also kind of a clue into like his state of mind with all of it. Was something snapped either before or after? Yeah, yeah, honestly. People were really trying to grasp to make sense of it because right. nothing terribly, you know obvious came to mind or came up with when the authorities were investigating this yeah two days after the murders there's the funeral and um there were the eight bodies of the deceased lawsons and it was crowded again the the macabre interest it was crowded with thousands of people so obviously there was the people from the town um but even more people that means people are traveling from like outside of town people were hearing about this in the news and they're like we must go and just like witness this but yeah a lot of them were press and even more people who are spectators and the newspapers really i feel like you need to blame the newspapers for uh the morbid curiosity of people during this time because they loved sensationalizing murder they really did they really really did like i mean when you think back there wasn't that much for people to do and you could you know purchase a newspaper and be entertained hearing about these grisly murders like it was a form of entertainment it really was if you could if you could actually be a part of that and witness a part of it was huge i think boredom played a very large part in a lot of our history up until like more recently right Someone... now we're getting bored with so many options right <laughs> um it would be amazing if someone did like a book or a documentary or even a podcast hey yo like <laughs> called like the dangers of boredom or like literally <gasps> yeah bored to death yeah oh cut it out just, like, Maria, talk about... don't let anyone get it <laughs> keep it trademark, for yourself trademark. <laughs> yeah i'm copywriting it <laughs> patent pending <laughs> oh man i think that's my best idea that i've ever had in my whole life i think that's a good one yeah anyways i'm a genius moving on <laughs> <laughs> um okay wow to bring this mood down um so at the funeral while there were eight bodies that were embalmed only seven coffins were buried uh they had infant mary lou laid to rest and nestled in the arms of her mom fanny who again she was just 37 right to the 37 year old mom and obviously like fanny was just four months old like she's an infant but i just I don't know. Like, when you see the photo, everyone looks so much older. 
They really do. Obviously, like, besides the little kids that are in the front row, but, like, everyone else in the back row, they look so much older. Yeah. Like, Charlie was 43. He looks like he's 50-something. At Uh, least. Fanny definitely looks, like, like well into her 40s or 50s. I don't know. Uh Maybe Charlie's bullshit has her haggard. Oh, probably. (laughs) But then his two oldest kids also look, like... Oh, yeah. 20s, 30s. I think just... When you needed to have like a straight face, like you couldn't smile or at least do a, a terribly big smile for photographs because yeah. you had to hold that position for so long. Like that's why people were. I think I feel like you look older when you're more serious. I'm going to try it. I'm going to I'm going to stand for a picture for a hell of a long time and then see if I look <laughs> really old. Yeah, because I just I wonder because the thing was, is that the exposure had to, you know, happen through. Oops. For like a few seconds. Yeah. If maybe like if they moved slightly, if if like the the way that the light is captured, that that's what makes people look older or something. I don't know. Right. Anyways, back to the funeral. So the coffins, they were all buried in a mass grave that was dug up by family and friends of the Lawsons. They were laid to rest in a family graveyard established in 1908, originally for the use of W. The W.D. Browder family and selected friends and neighbors. So I don't know if like they were friends and neighbors. Selected this. friends and neighbors. <laughs> I don't I don't know, I guess. Maybe yeah. they had connections. Today it is open for burials only for direct descendants of W.D. Browder owing to limited plot availability. <laughs> That's right. another pull from Wikipedia, if you can't <laughs> tell. Um, but yeah, there, if you go to Germantown and you go to the cemetery, like you will see their right. tombstones. Um, so again, a big thing about this case was how it was sensationalized. Mm-hmm. Just the amount of attention that it drew, not only in the, um, mind space of the people in the area, but just like physically too, like it drew a lot of people. Actually, soon after the funeral, Charlie's brother, Marion... He took advantage of all this kind of, you know, publicity going on. And he decided to open up the crime scene for people to tour. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I find so, it's in such bad taste. That's a mindset. Even for people of that era, even with like the sensationalization and their, you know, macabre interests in like murder and stuff. Right. Even then, people were like, yo, Marion, that's kind of fucked up. What the hell? But he had this defense like, oh, I'm doing it to raise money for poor Arthur, who, again, was the sole survivor of the family, the 16-year-old boy. Um, The farm still had a mortgage on it, still Mm -hmm. needed to be settled, and that debt fell on Arthur's lap, which, I mean, that sucks, but I feel like you can raise money in a different way. Right. I don't know. Maybe Arthur was totally okay with it, and he's like, yeah, let's fucking, you know, get some bucks, because I'm 16 years old, and I have a mortgage now. Yeah. But yeah, so that was his defense for doing that. Anyway, so they actually left the crime scene. Like, they left it disheveled just as the day that it was discovered. I mean, I'm sure some things were a little disturbed, because, again, on the day of, a bunch of people showed up to, like, look at what happened. Yeah. But... They pretty much after, you know, that first day, they left it undisturbed. They didn't clean anything, pick up anything. It's Ugh. it's rather eerie. Yeah. 
people would pay to walk through the house and the property as a tourist attraction. There were still bloodstains on the floors. Like, when you look photos of the interior of this cabin, really, farmhouse slash cabin, the majority of the floors are just blood-soaked or, like, blood-stained. Things are, you know, obviously, like, disheveled, like, furniture. You can tell people were, like, there was, like, a struggle. Yeah. Oof. And then... uh, I hate I hate reading this out loud again. If you're sensitive to children, like skip 30 seconds. Little Mary Lou's crib was still filled with the bloody sheets when she was from when she was bludgeoned. Right. Um, even Marie's Christmas cake that she baked that morning, it was still kept on display. And then they had to put like a glass cloche over it, like they had to protect it with glass. Because people kept stealing the raisins from the cake to the fuck have as souvenirs. Raisins. That's it's like weird. Fucking like Michael Scott, like running out to the street and grabbing the gravel from that like the, <laughs> the, the strangler uh, yes. car chase. <laughs> like it's fucking gravel. <laughs> it's one thing that you're already like walking through this crime scene and gawking for your amusement at. The blood and and just the gore of it. It's another that you're fucking just like grabbing. Taking from it. Taking from it. Also that, I don't know, I guess it's a raisin so it won't go bad so quickly, but. (laughs) Still. And the thing about this cake, it was on display for years. For years. Like Marion Lawson had this, I guess, uh, this murder museum at this point going for years, many, many years after the murders. And he kept that same cake. That was my question. I'm like, why can't you just like for like the whole mortgage thing? Why couldn't you just like sell the farm and try to settle the debt and then take him in? I have no idea. Because he obviously wasn't living what happened. in a, muse- a death museum. Yeah, no, he wasn't living there. But okay. I'm I'm sure maybe he probably started living with one of his family members. Um, actually, you know, I didn't include this in my notes, but Arthur actually ended up dying rather young. He died at 35. Was he 35? I, I was actually trying to look it up while we were, like, taking a little break. Yeah. Um, he, I thought he was um, 31. Or he was somewhere in his 30s, but he left behind, like, his wife and kids, and he was, it was like a motor accident. A truck wreck near Walnut Cove. Yeah, which is, like, sucks. He, like, survives this, but then he still has a short life. That's really sad. So, unfortunately, that was Arthur's fate. Poor guy. Well, fun fact about the this murder museum. Um, among the thousands of visitors to the house from across the nation was the infamous mobster John Dillinger. Which is like a total intersection of true crime. <laughs> total intersection of true crime. Um, so I guess he was actually freshly escaped from prison. Like, he wasn't even, like, a free man. Like, oh, I happen to go in my... No, he was, like, he had just escaped prison. So it's, like, so much true crime on true crime. Escaped and... to go visit a murder scene. Well... Not to do it, he... but, like, that makes yeah, sense, right? Yeah, he... Make... That would make sense. <laughs> uh, no. So uh, he escaped, and he was on his way to Florida with... And he had his girlfriend and, like, another fellow crime friend in tow. And they heard about this murder, and they're like, oh, man... Like, OMG, we got to go see it. And this is kind of funny. Um, 
So it's said that Dillinger even left a note on the door of the sheriff of the area, apparently mocking him for like, you're like, oh, you missed your opportunity to capture America's most wanted man. (laughs) Ha ha ha. (laughs) Neener, neener. Because I'm like, I'm wondering if he was America's most wanted at the time, why did no one like notice that? Oh, look, there's Don Don Dillinger. (laughs) (sighs) I'm so tongue tied today. John Dillinger walking through the house like didn't anyone recognize him right i don't know all right so some theories on motive because again we're like this senseless crime like what the fuck the first theory that was the leading theory for a while um so apparently a few months before the murders charlie lawson actually had sustained some sort of head injury and so family and friends theorize that like oh maybe this altered his mental state Somehow it led to the massacre. Mm -hmm. So while a TBI wasn't diagnosed during the autopsy of his brain, uh, so his brain was taken up to Baltimore, by the way, to be studied at Johns Hopkins because they were, like, all about studying criminal brains. Right. Um, So while they didn't find, like, any signs of a TBI, they did mention that um, his brain was relatively small and that the and a portion of the center of the brain seemed underdeveloped. So I think that was their very scientific, nice way of saying he was very dumb and impulsive. Right. To begin with. Not the brightest tool in the shed. Um, I wonder what other brains they can compare that to. To be like, not to be like, well, there, here's a healthy one and here's his. But like, what other brains were like that? And what were those people like in their life? And what kind of, you know, mm-hmm. did they commit crimes? Did they do, you know, I don't know. I know. I mean, I, you know, I, you, you'd love it to be black and white, but even if you have, even people who have underdeveloped brains don't go off murdering people too. Right. So, you know. Right. But it would be very interesting. Ooh, maybe that's like a tune in episode, like, you know, just covering like uh, the science brains. of crime or something. Yeah. Like oh, okay. <laughs> it, it, uh, brains. Yes. Um, because I know that like Johns Hopkins. The brain and, of abnormal. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, studying brains and to see, like, what, if there's any pattern. I'm sure there are some sort of patterns, but anyways. Right. I digress. Um, so, yeah. So, for a long time, this was the leading theory. This, like, brain injury slash that his brain was small and underdeveloped. It was what was believed to have led Charlie Lawson to commit familicide. Mm-hmm. But then, in 1990... There was a book that was published called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas by M. Bruce Jones and Trudy J. Smith. And it covered, obviously, the massacre. And it revealed a six-year-old secret that was from some sort of anonymous source. And it claimed that Charlie Lawson was sexually abusing his daughter, Marie. And at first, people were like, well, this is like a... It seems like a baseless claim, like it's an anonymous source, like how do they know for sure, blah, blah. But when this book came out and then this new, like, you know, news came out about this sexual abuse, it prompted Stella Lawson Bowles, who was a cousin to the Lawson children. She came forward and confessed that she had actually overheard her mother and some of the other Lawson women talking at the funeral about how Fanny, the mom of the family, uh, apparently Fanny had confided in one of them that she discovered incest in her family about a year before the murders. 
So definitely backing up. Yeah. This this uh this claim. Um supposedly Fanny was in agony about the relationship between her husband and their 17-year-old daughter Marie. It was also discovered that weeks before that Christmas day, Marie had shared her own secret with her friend. So again, being prompted by this book, um, sources came forward saying that um, on a sleepover, Marie had told her friend that she was pregnant with her father's baby and that both her parents knew about the pregnancy. Which, going back to the photo, again, you see her very unhappy face. I'm like, okay, yeah. it wasn't just to stay still for the photo. She was going through a time. Yeah. And also, her you can see her whole torso. Some say that she looks rather full in the belly. Not that she's, like, showing, showing. Mm-hmm. But they're like, oh, you know, I don't know. Probably trying to rationalize right. it. Right. And it's, that's too hard to tell if you don't know what she yeah. looks like otherwise. I know. Like, maybe she just was fuller in her belly. Right. So another story came forward as well that a neighbor of the Lawsons, Sam Hill, remembers that um, Charlie forced himself, like, I guess Charlie confided in the neighbor and that he had forced himself on Marie. And when he learned that she had become pregnant, he threatened Marie and was like, if you tell your mom or if you tell anybody else, quote, there would be some killing done, unquote. Okay, I have issues with this neighbor. He just Why did nothing. he say? I know <laughs> exactly. And what said the fuck? nothing. What like, the fuck? Don't be so, yeah. like that. Don't be like so, that. If you see it, yep. if you hear something, you say something. Yep, you say something. Like Even I know if, it was night. Don't be afraid of repercussions. <sighs> People are gonna get mad. At, like someone fucking tells you that they forced themselves on their child and then and told their child impregnated their child yeah no you report that you say something which i know there probably wasn't like, like a reporting thing back i then, don't know how so. many red flags you need forced themselves on their daughter impregnated their daughter threatened their daughter said that there would be yeah. killing done i mean it's just ugh, why didn't and then you as say soon anything? as all those things happen like oh the whole family is dead you know say something yeah Oh, my God. I just, I can't. Um, so, yeah. Needless to say, the incest between Charlie and Marie now remains as the leading theory on motive. So, right. going back to those um, four types of uh, family annihilators, mm-hmm. there was um, Anomic, which was the one that saw his family as a status symbol. I don't think he checks that. No. The disappointed killer when, like, the family doesn't live up to their standards. No. Mm. But I think it's a mix of the last two. The Mm self-righteous killer that destroys the family to exact revenge. And then the paranoid killer that kills their family um, and, like, thinking that they're they're sparing them from something worse than death. Right. Like, it was probably, yeah. like, I'm fucking pissed that you told your mom, and now this is going to come out, and now, well, yeah. if it's going to come out, we can't be that family. Yeah, exactly. So it's, like, revenge on her Marie. telling about it, and yeah. that he didn't want the secret to come out. Yeah. Guess what? <sighs> yeah. It's out. Yeah. It is out. So that is the Lawson family massacre on Christmas Day. 
Um, this event did inspire a number of songs and other tributes, including the murder ballad, The Murder of the Lawson Family, which was recorded by the Stanley Brothers in March 1956. And then, of course, there's those two books that anyone can read. Um, there's White Christmas, Bloody Christmas that I mentioned that first revealed that secret about the incest. Mm -hmm. And then they wrote a second book, The Meaning of Our Tears, that apparently further supports the theory of incest. Right. And also there's been other podcasts. Uh, I, I know that Criminal has done like a a good coverage on this um, on this uh, family side on their podcast. Mm -hmm. So you can listen to that. I'm pretty sure like and that's why we drink did this one, too. I have a feeling. But anyways, yep, that's my story. Fun, 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 fun. Family death, child death. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, I don't have anything much better. For children <laughs> i know <laughs> this i i have a feeling this is just like <laughs> we hate children episode promise no, we, we don't we, <laughs> we don't we love children but yeah man I mean, they i'm trying to bring some in the world i'm excited for for your portion though yeah it's uh i, I think it's a little bit more fun in, in mm -hmm. terms of like paranormal topics yeah um and you know they they fit paranormal, but really, I don't know, loosely. So mm -hmm. I'm covering Christmas cryptids. Yay! But these cryptids, you know, even that's debatable if they fall under the category of cryptid, I think. They're more like Or folklore. even Christmas. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but, I know they're associated with Christmas today, but. Right. They have I like their roots to think elsewhere. They have their, their roots elsewhere, and I like to think that all these things have roots in something real, whether it still resembles it or is like, we don't even know. Side note, I, I do believe in Bigfoot. That has nothing to do with this. I'm just saying I believe in Bigfoot <laughs> in case you ever Good wonder. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Making notes. Making notes. Maybe not necessarily in the way that like he's depicted. But I remember reading, um, or was it watching a show? Can't remember I mean, now. Panda bears. Silly... Oh, okay. Those mm -hmm. you people used to think those were like the equivalent of like a Bigfoot. Like they were talked about, but there was no proof they existed. And then I forget what year, but then they were like, "Oh shit, <laughs> these guys are real." Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's silly to say to like assume that we know of every single species that is out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's harder for, you know, I think land species to go and notice for so long, but it's not impossible. Right. We're still finding new species of things. I mean, little things. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it can happen. People have a hard time. I think accepting like something as big as like physically yeah. as big as Bigfoot. Bigfoot. I almost said barefoot. I'm like, that's not the word. Well, um, he is barefoot. He is. He is barefoot. <laughs> the but barefoot also Bigfoot. Big mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah. Sorry. Cool. So anyway, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I like to think that some of these stories do come from something real and they are nice. creepy. So, you know, it works. Cool. But yeah, I wanted to do Christmas cryptids, things that are at least today related to Christmas that are not things like Santa or could you guys stop? <laughs> Are the dogs playing? Yeah. Could you guys not? Love you, but no thank you. Hi. 
right? Okay. <laughs> so creepy things that are not cute little Santa Clauses and elves and reindeers and snowmen. Yeah. But like Krampus. Krampus. Yes. Yes. Krampus. So I'm going to start with Krampus because he is the like most well-known. Right. So Krampus is... Well, let me back up a second. So St. Nicholas, who is... Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, that's rude. St. Nicholas <laughs> is... <laughs> Is one version of Santa Claus. Like, we actually, there's, like, several versions of, like, where Santa Claus probably comes from. But St. Nicholas is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just say that's Krampus in the background, right? There you go. (laughs) We have excellent sound effects now, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So St. Nicholas was a little bit different. He was a gift giver, but he wasn't the Santa Claus we know today. And he also mm-hmm. came on December 6th rather than oh. the 25th. Interesting. St. Nicholas. Yeah. I wonder when that <clears throat> shift started. I'm not sure. Because hmm. I do, I do think, I mean, other countries celebrate different. They celebrate Christmas differently than we do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, America's not the center of everything. Exactly. We like to think we are. Anyway. <laughs> we love to think we are. <laughs> uh, so St. Nicholas. I was just going to go into like the region, but now I'm like totally derailing. St. Nicholas has several companions. Boop. That was the point I was trying to make. <laughs> I'm going to cover a couple of his companions. Krampus is mm-hmm. his like most famous companion. Yeah. So Krampus stems from Central European folklore, and it's theorized that stories of Krampus actually stretch all the way back to pre-Christian Alpine traditions. I love that. Alpine traditions. So that would be like Austria, Switzerland, Germany kind of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's described as having a mangled, deranged face with bloodshot eyes. A furry black body, giant horns, like a goat, kind of resembles a goat, hooves for feet, but he has an extraordinarily long red tongue, like hubba hubba, hella long, (laughs) like he can tingle a girl from a distance. Oh, maybe cut that out. (laughs) Man, I'm getting sweaty. I was scared of Krampus at first, and I'm not so sure. (laughs) Oh, Krampus a hottie. Anyway, so traditionally, like I said. Give give Gene Simmons a run for his money. Oh, my gosh. You have to tell the story of the. Oh, Steven Tyler. Yeah. He's also rumored to have a very long tongue. And this was like years ago in San Francisco. I believe it was Fleet Week. And I'm walking around San Francisco, and everyone's like, oh, look at who, saying stuff, right? So I look in the Mm -hmm. direction they're talking about, and there's Steven Tyler walking along, eating an ice cream cone. And I, the first thought I had was, man, yeah, his tongue is really long. (laughs) And his mouth is huge. I mean, his mouth is something else. Like, I'm surprised it wasn't just like, 
and done. No one saw what I just did, but like, you know. What flavor ice cream was it? I don't remember. I want chocolate maybe. I feel like I remember it being chocolate, but I could be wrong. Steven Tyler's a chocolaholic. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's my Steven Tyler story. He was very nice. He was like totally unbothered by people like staring at him. Oh, he wasn't cool. like encouraging it, but he was just kind of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'm existing. Here <laughs> yeah. I am. Just chilling. I like that. Join the planes. Yeah, that's my story. So December 6th, St. Nicholas Day. Right. Kids right, right, will right. wake up to, um, especially like, I guess this region, but I know in the Netherlands, you leave out shoes and you wake up to like little presents right. inside of them. Cute. Yeah. Is um, that where stockings come from? I'm going to assume so. I mean, because like stockings are shoe adjacent. So. Right. Right. I think so. Slight rebranding. Just a little bit. (laughs) Rebranding, rebranding, rebranding. (laughs) (laughs) And our first round of recording this episode, we talked about we need like those like those cheesy radio stations. They have like the buttons. Every time we say rebranding, it's like a guy that says rebranding, rebranding, (laughs) rebranding. I think that must be what happened because St. Nicholas would leave like treats for the good kids and um, like birch twigs uh, for kids that misbehaved. It's just kind of not the worst thing to get. You can make literal stick figures out of it, I guess. Yeah. Put your imagination to it. Hope is not lost if you've got twigs. It's fine. (laughs) It lasts longer than candy. You can make a really... Can make a really adorable tiny little fire. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's what happens. But okay. December 5th is like the adjacent of Christmas Eve. Um, right. Except it became known as Krampus Nacht, Krampus Nights, where he would visit the houses. In some mm-hmm. stories, it's with St. Nicholas. Some stories, it's without. Um, but his specialty, rather than leaving treats for kids, or like non treats, he mm-hmm. is that he would um, beat children. Oh God! With birch branches. Or, oh, that's where the that's where the branches come in. Yeah, the the branches. Saint Nick was like, "Here's some little twigs." Maybe as a reminder. <laughs> right, of like, I think so. You yeah, do that worse. I'm gonna send my buddy. He's gonna beat you. And then, but if sometimes you weren't so lucky and he would actually like stuff you in his sack and he, you, he'd haul you off to his lair and torture or eat the child. Oh my God. I don't know how long he would torture for though. Like I just assume he would for, eat like, at eternity? some eternity. I don't know. Well, you think know. back to that Krampus movie and the one they, with Ben. Yeah. They were like not tortured so much but i guess kind of tortured they were stuck in like a snow globe in his lair they were just like right in a loop trapped yeah. on a loop yeah or something like that for eternity so he i recommend acts... that movie for sure it's a fun watch <laughs> super fun <laughs> it is i like watching it <laughs> i like watching it <laughs> there's another good christmas tie movie that's like horror um i think it's called rare exports Oh, I and it takes that place one. in like Iceland or Norway or something like that. It's more Santa related, though. It's it's really good. I was surprised at how much I loved it. 
and the quality of it is perfection. I don't, Ooh. I'll have to see like where it's airing right now, but I highly recommend okay. that one too. Anyway, back yeah. to Krampus. So his original roots actually don't connect to Christmas. They date back to pre-Germanic paganism that existed in this region. And his name originates from the German Krampen, which means claw. Ah. And the tradition, the traditional thought is that he is one of the sons of the Norse god of the underworld, Hell. Which I love. Yeah. Oh, cool. I appreciate that. They were all having very strange children. I mean, Loki has a number of children that are oh, yeah. bizarre. Mm-hmm. That's because he could shapeshift into other creatures and right. make a baby so and then, then be like, oh, I have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not oh, the Marvel Loki. <laughs> <laughs> um, which actually hell from Marvel. Mm-hmm. Is one of Loki's kids. But That's changed, right. Yeah, they changed it in the movie to be a like that, they, that. That she was a sister. Right. It's like I remember the most infuriating I, thing to me is that whole movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember when <laughs> I um, I had listened to the audiobook of Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. and I remember hearing about the origin story of Hell. Yeah, and um, and then. After hearing that audiobook, then I saw like the previews for Ragnarok that came out, right? That was Ragnarok, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, wait, Kate Blanchett is Loki's daughter? Because they, they don't made say like her it's... look like his daughter with the black hair, but then they were like, surprise, yeah. it's actually their sister, which pisses me off because one of my favorite Marvel characters is named Angela, and Angela is their sister. Oh. Which makes me feel like, are they just never going to do her? They're never going to bring her Interesting. in? She's yeah, they've already used cool the character. surprise sister card. Right. They'd have to make her something totally different. Her story is amazing. She was kidnapped as a baby. Um, she goes, she becomes queen of hell. She beats Hela to become queen of hell to save her oh, wow. girlfriend, Sarah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. It's, I'm like really mad at everything Thor Ragnarok <laughs> because I'm like... Shit, they, they, yeah, that I her bet. story's never gonna happen. It's not. Yeah. They'd have to change so much. Anyway, sucks. I digress entirely. So Krampus might be one of Hell's kids. All right, good to know. Maybe. Yeah. So during the 12th century, 12th century, remember that the Catholic Church attempted to banish Krampus celebrations because of his resemblance to the devil. So. First, first came Krampus, then came the devil. We talked about this. The devil, Lucifer, is actually yep. quite handsome. Oh, um, yes. He's a treat. But they're like, we have to make him scarier. Yeah, he's, he's bad now. We're rebranding mm-hmm. him. <laughs> rebranding, rebranding, rebranding. <laughs> and now he is Krampus. So they really were like, you guys, stop, stop celebrating this guy. Because celebrations for Krampus have existed for a very long time. So. Right. Which is total bullshit. Let them do their thing. You stole their thing and now you're going to tell them that they can't do their thing? Well, they've... Remember, 12th century, they were trying mm-hmm. to banish this. 1934, they're still trying. 
Austria's the, conservative Christian social party tried stamina, so hard. The stamina. <laughs> but alas, nope, nope. Um, there are celebrations to this day for Krampus. I'm like jumping all over my notes, but I think it's fine. So in, um, I think it's Lens, Lens, Lens. They have an annual Krampus parade that's also known as Purchtenlauf or Klaubauf. And it is a centuries-old tradition. So they have young men from town that dress up as Krampus and parade through the streets in an ancient pagan ritual meant to disperse winter's ghosts. And I will Mm -hmm. attach photos to this because it's terrifying. I love it. I can't wait to see. So they march around dressed in fursuits because, again, they're dressed like Krampus and they're wearing wooden masks, again, like Krampus. And they carry cowbells. And the tradition, which is also known as Krampuslauf or Krampus Run, is actually having a resurgence through Austria, Germany, Slovenia, Hungary, and the Czech Republic right now. And I think probably due to some of those movies, it's gaining some recognition in the U.S. Because I bet it was more like still kept up in like rural areas i feel like rural areas keep up on their traditions and then once one of those things enters mainstream suddenly all the the metropolitan areas start picking up on it like totally when we covered day of the dead (laughs) yeah exactly because that that was mostly just like in rural indigenous communities and Mm -hmm. now it's just exploded everywhere everywhere including target (laughs) including target (laughs) (laughs) yep um, so this is so popular that they actually, Europeans from this area have been exchanging essentially Krampus greeting cards since the 1800s. Oh, I love this part. <laughs> so <laughs> they're called, I don't know the pronunciation. I should have looked it up. Grub von, K- von Krampus, which is essentially greetings from Krampus. Mm-hmm. And the cards will usually have humorous rhymes and poems. And it features him looming menacingly over children. He's sometimes shown as having one human foot and one cloven foot. That is wild. And in some, Krampus has sexual overtones. And he can be seen um, pursuing buxom women. Does he have his tongue out? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So over time, the representation of Krampus in these cards has changed. So he went from being like this frightening guy mm-hmm. um, to some of them. He's like a, almost like a Cupid-like creature. Oh, they made him cute. cute. They made him super cute. <laughs> so you can find him on postcards and candy containers in those areas. And then the last bit I will say on Krampus is that it is customary if you were leaving out Something for St. Nicholas or Santa Claus, you know, you're leaving out like milk and cookies. And if you're super nice, you leave out carrots for the reindeer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for Krampus, you leave out schnapps. <laughs> he doesn't fuck around. <laughs> yeah. Fruity schnapps from what I, I, I believe. Yeah. Be true. Yeah. None of that mint shit. None of the peppermint schnapps. Nah. Nah, nah. Old school. Yeah. Old school, none of this, like, what college kids drink, which I don't think they drink schnapps at all anymore. I used, I drank schnapps. Yeah, but now you're older. Maybe, like, college college kids today or... Today, yeah, maybe not. Boochcraft, maybe. I don't know. I'm out of touch. Luxury beverages. 
alcoholic luxury beverages. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's Krampus. And before I get to the other companion, I'm going to mention Frau Perkta. You said it with an accent, and I liked it last time. Frau, oh, Frau Perkta. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I I actually. <laughs> I really tried the first half of this year to learn several languages, Dutch included. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I have such a hard time with accents. Oh, interesting. Like, yeah, so leave hard. the offending of Germans up uh, to me. I, I gotcha. Frau Pochta. But no, that's so much better. Frau, I have such a Frau. hard time. Well, it's so interesting because there are the R's is very similar to the French R. It's like guttural. I need to practice. I need to like hear it over and over and over again. I also need to work on rolling my R's. You can do it. I learned it late in life too. Even as yeah. a native Spanish speaker, I had <laughs> apparently what's known as a speech impediment for Spanish speakers. I could not <laughs> roll my R's. Yeah. I remember I was given um, like nursery rhymes that had a lot of rolling R's to help practice. And I honestly didn't get it until I was like in high school or even in college. Right. Got, you know. I couldn't do it. I always felt so inadequate. Uh, really, mm-hmm. you know, started a, a real identity crisis within me. It's no big deal. But um, <laughs> <laughs> questioning my identity as 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 a Dominican slash also American. We won't get into that. Oh, my God. But... I saw the cutest video today. Cute but sad. It's this little girl. And she's with her mom. They're both of, like, Chinese background. Mm-hmm. And the little girl sobbing. They had just seen Mulan. And she's Aww. like can't understand why she hasn't learned Chinese. Oh, how can, she's going, how can I be Chinese if I haven't learned Chinese? Aww. And she's just going on and on about how upset she is that she can't speak Chinese. And it's like, oh, that's so precious. That is precious. But and the I think the mom posted it as like this is what it's like to be a Canadian-born Chinese person. <laughs> <laughs> this is what my child's yeah. upset about. <laughs> no Chinese for you, only English <laughs> or French. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think she was calling her grandparents something that made me think that maybe the grandparents spoke Chinese. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, totally, totally off subject, but yeah, languages, man. Alberta. Yes. So she's not as well known as Krampus these days. Um, mm-hmm. Or really ever, I'm sure, which is a shame because this Christmas time goddess, witch, and all around terrifying gal deserves a lot more um, coverage because she's just kind of cool. So she's a staple in the Alpine regions of southern Germany and Austria, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure Switzerland too. Um, but she's relatively under the radar everywhere else. So okay. A little bit about her. She's also known as Berkta or Bertha and has also been called Spinstubenfrau Spin, Spin or Spinning Room Lady. Which is so funny because when, <laughs> when you said that in our first recording, I just kept thinking of like literal spinning, not like spinning, the weaving, spinning. <laughs> but like that she was just twirling around and around. <laughs> And you're like, oh, yeah, spinning was big in Scandinavia. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, that, it's, that um, how people got, like, high? Because, like, it's a dizziness trait. is... Scandinavians have, they do not get dizzy. 
Because, <laughs> like, dizziness is, like, the first high that you experience. And so I'm, like, in my head I'm thinking, oh, they like to spin a lot? Maybe for the fun of it? <laughs> yeah, no spinning, weaving. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, silly. Okay. <laughs> so she's often depicted with a beaked nose made of iron dressed mm. in rags sometimes carrying a cane and generally resembles a decrepit old crone a look <laughs> it's a look tm but this this old crone has a little secret she carries a long knife hidden under her skirt i respect Fuck. that <laughs> she's packing <laughs> She also bears a resemblance to the, now this note says, says the Scandinavian goddess Frigga. Not everyone believes that Frigga and Freya are two different people. A lot of people mm -hmm. believe that they were the same. And then when Christianity came into being, they made a separation to make her mm -hmm. more likable. Okay. So Frigga was more like the goddess of domestic life. Mm -hmm. And was like the wife of Odin and things like that. Yeah. Whereas Freya was more, she was that, but she was also love, sex, war, spinning. Like, yeah. Just a badass. They were like, yeah. let's de-badass this lady to sell her on this rebranding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rebranding, rebranding, rebranding. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, whether you believe in one or the other. um. Mm -hmm. She and Perkta share some common obsessions, which would, which are spinning and um, domestic neatness. So there's that domesticness. Mm -hmm. And frankly, she's pretty judgy about the state of your home for a woman who wears rags. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> she's really not one to talk, but she does. So legend has it that uh, by Twelfth Night, January 6th, you better have all of your flax spun. For when the Christmas season was over, it would be time to set up the big upright loom, at which time you must have enough thread to warp it and start your weaving. And <laughs> if you haven't finished your weaving, there are numerous tales of Frau Perkta trampling and even setting fire to the half-spun fibers. Jeez. And if you should really irritate her, like, not only your flax is it not spun, but your house is also a total mess, and you failed to leave out a traditional bowl of porridge for her, because that's her food of choice, then she would she would essentially, she'd come into your bedroom and disembowel you and replace your guts with rocks and straw. Oh my god. Yeah. So, that is some. Um, so make your fucking beds. <laughs> pretty much, I feel like oh my Frau God. Perkta is is not so much for kids as she is for wives in the olden days. Oh, that's kind of what it seems like. Mm. So she does more than just would checking she, up on she your only, spending. Would she only punish females, like girls and women? I don't believe so. I think she would punish anybody, okay. but just like, mm -hmm. I mean hundreds of years ago what man is gonna be concerned about his spinning they didn't do that women did yeah true 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 and it was the woman's job to claim that's right? true too so, 
It's one of those like, but she goes after everybody that spins and cleans the home. Right. It's not just well, a woman thing, but it kind of is. <laughs> but it is. I see that. I see that now. Yeah. But so like I said, she, she does more than just check up on your spinning and kill you if you haven't done it. Um, she's also connected to the legend of the wild hunt. So the legend says that she flies through the night sky attended by an army of lost souls, including the demonic looking Perkton which is her army of servants who are visually nearly indistinguishable from Krampus. So like a thousand Krampuses. Yeah, it's a Krampus <laughs> army led Jeez. by this lady. Krampus rides abroad on Krampus Noct, while the Perkton tend more toward the Epiphany or the Twelfth Night um, post-Christmas. Mm -hmm. And the last three Thursdays before Christmas that are known as Berkdal Nights or Knocking Nights. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, so that's a thing. And then among her army of knights, or her army of the night are the souls of unbaptized children. So the legend is that if you hear the wind and thunder roaring and rumbling through the mountains on the Berkdal Nights, you're really hearing the sounds of Berkta leading the wild hunt. Damn. Another one of her names is Holly, a winter goddess whose name means shining or bright. Hence her association post-rebranding with the Epiphany and the shining night on which the star of Bethlehem shone down. So this is definitely post-post-rebranding. Got it. Um, her dual nature is expressed in the fact that they're both evil or ugly. And there's ugly Perkton and pretty Perkton. <laughs> so mean. Both of whom you might find <laughs> okay. in the typical... Perkton Lauf or Perkton Run in the Alpine regions of Europe. So there is another like event similar to the uh, Krampus ones in these regions. Okay. So, you know, as we get closer to the holidays and you're cleaning your house and you're, you know, dusting and cleaning, just imagine at night that <laughs> I liked this. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that no. It, at night that this old crone sneaks into your kitchen running her withered claw-like fingers over the baseboards and tops of the cupboards, checking for dust, creeping through the house like a mad Martha Stewart crossed with the Grinch who stole Christmas. <laughs> and if you should fail in your housekeeping, well, just don't. <laughs> Keep your yes. <laughs> oh, my God. So There's a lot of pressure. By January 6th, instead of bemoaning the fact that Christmas is over, Celebrate mm -hmm. Perkton Tog by telling your kids they'd better clean up their rooms or Frau Perkton will come and disembowel them in the night. No biggie. No biggie. They'll love it. Oh my gosh. It's a good story. Wow. That's just the children's German, the German children's book that like, it's all these cautionary tales or, and the children are always just fucking tortured. Uh, Schubert Peter. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, like don't suck your thumbs or there's this guy that shows up and cuts them off with his giant scissors. No big deal. You Germans, man, the Germanic peoples, y'all are yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah, they're tough people. Yeah, they are. See, they can come up with it, but then they can take it. <laughs> <laughs> they hear those stories, they go, okay, I got this. All right, got it. <laughs> Well, now we move on to one of St. Nicholas's other companions, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Dwight's personal favorite, Belschnickel. <gasps> Chia Ophia. Belschnickel is here. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, to, I had to capture this tiny moment from the episode where Dwight comes in and he says, Oh, Belschnickel has traveled from distant lands to discover how all the boys and girls have been behaving this year. And, you know, he's dressed like Belschnickel. Mm-hmm. And Jim goes, so he's kind of like Santa, except dirty and worse. And Dwight goes, <laughs> no, much better. No one fears Santa the way they fear Belschnickel. And Jim follows up with, wow, it's my favorite part of Christmas, the authority. And Pam follows up with, and the fear. <laughs> and the fear. <laughs> and that's essentially, that's Belschnickel wrapped up in a nutshell. I love it so, so much. <laughs> And for anyone who hasn't seen that episode or wants to rewatch it, let me just, you know, save you some time. It's season nine, episode nine. Nine, nine. Nine, nine. Nine, nine. No, no. Nine, nine. Oh, my God. A glorious episode. One of my top five faves. And of he, the he does a very good job dressing as Belschnickel. He really does. Yeah. Because so Belschnickel is he's known as being crotchety which is mm-hmm. white, <laughs> yeah. fur clad. Um, and he does often, he is usually seen with like a dirtied face. Like when people dress mm-hmm. like Belschnickel, they'll put dirt on their face. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a Christmas gift bringer. Um, and he comes from the southwestern area of Germany. Right. And the people from the southwestern part of Germany that eventually immigrated over to Pennsylvania are what mm-hmm. are known as the um, Dutch Pennsylvanians. Yeah, like Pennsylvania They're Dutch Pennsylvania isn't actually Dutch. Yeah. Dutch. It was right. like because they were from Deutschland, which is Germany, but then dumb Americans are like, oh, so Dutch. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, they're German. <laughs> they're German. Yeah. And actually, he this figure is also seen in Brazilian German communities as well. Yeah, there are a ton of Germans in Brazil. Yeah. Which um, there are some stories about, like post World War Two, some not so great individuals. Oh yeah, escaping yeah, there. a lot of people in Brazil and Argentina. Mm-hmm, yeah, are German. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, but you know they brought Belschnickel with them. Can't knock them for that. Belschnickel's kind of cool. So he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Belschnickel, it is possible that he was based on an older German myth of Nex Rupert. A mm-hmm. servant of St. Nicholas and a character from northern Germany. But unlike those figures, Belschnickel does not accompany St. Nicholas. He visits children alone. Maybe he should have a buddy with him. <laughs> but he also combines both the threatening and benign aspects, which in other traditions are divided between, you know, like St. Nicholas and Krampus. Right. It is all on Belschnickel. So... Some believe that Belschnickel was a companion or servant to St. Nicholas. And like Dwight's interpretation, Belschnickel, like I said before, wore fur um, along with really ragged clothes. Mm-hmm. And um, in some stories, he's described as wearing a mask equipped with a long tongue, maybe to look like his fellow companion, Krampus. Maybe, yeah. Now, unlike the goodwill brought by Santa Claus, Belle Schnickel stirred up fear in children. 
Mm-hmm. The legend states that the gift bearer carried a long switch and would beat those who misbehaved. Kind of uh. like when Dwight is, he, he carried a switch with him, I'm pretty sure, when he was asking if you were impish or admirable. I think, didn't he, I thought he had the birch branches. That would, that would be a switch. That's what a switch is? Oh, yeah. I, I thought of a switch like just like a stick. Rather than, like, I think it's it's probably it can be different, but a mm, switch mm-hmm. is it's essentially something that's used to beat with. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, then yes, a switch is never going to be something nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, no. Um. So, if you remember, he you know goes around and he's asking everyone in the office if they've been impish or admirable. He <laughs> does give them nice. Th- well. In the office, he doesn't. They're not nice things. He's kind of like very a crow. practical things. It's a he's like a crow who's corrected collected these like odd items and is like, here you go, yeah. like it, please. <laughs> uh, Belschnickel would give things like cakes and candies and nuts. Okay, um, to the good kids. So if you're admirable, you get a gift. If you're impish, you'd get hit with the switch. And he was also said to visit homes a few weeks prior to Christmas to check up um, on children's behaviors. And some stories even went as far as saying that Belchnickel would tap on the windows with his switch and force children into singing songs. And I swear to God, if they ever make a Belchnickel movie, it needs to be Dwight. Oh, it really does, though, right? Like, not even the actor playing Dwight. It needs to be Dwight. Like, Dwight Schrute <laughs> got cast <laughs> to portray Belschnickel. So just imagine Dwight's face tapping on a window and telling these children to sing songs. If they did, he would throw them treats. Mm-hmm. And if they, my note say if they acted too fast. I feel like if they didn't act fast enough yeah. to sing the song, they would then be beat. Oh, fun. Um, So it's pretty understandable why Dwight would, you know, cling to this legend of Belschnickel, especially considering that he very clearly had the Pennsylvania Dutch background. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Moe's. Yes. Um, And that's Belschnickel. Belschnickel. Chia or fear? (laughs) Belschnickel is here. I judge your year as impish. And bitch. <laughs> him smacking Jim. <laughs> and then when he, when he says, what does he give Pam? Um, it's like a mousetrap. Oh, mousetraps. And he's like, for the children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That episode is just all kinds really of good. gold. Yeah. Amazing. Now we're actually going to move on to another show. Which would be Chilling yeah. Adventures of Sabrina. If you remember, yes. they had a Christmas episode mm-hmm. where they had stolen a baby. And um, all of a sudden, things were happening around the house. And they realized it was like little ghost children. And they go, oh, shit. Um, it's Gryla's kids. They're coming here causing mischief. And they're going to lead her here. And she's going to take this baby away because she likes babies. She wants babies. Mm-hmm. And they made her super beautiful, you know, super nice. She, like, came back later to help them out. Um, I mean, I don't want to say about super nice, but. Right. Not. The but not, like, gruesome. Yeah. yeah. So. She was just very fierce. Yes. 
Now, the for real Gryla is actually one of Iceland's most renowned figures associated with Christmas and made her first appearances in ancient pagan times. So absolutely before the rebranding. Mm-hmm. So she is essentially a, a giant troll, which I'm going to skip forward for a quick second. She's actually mentioned in the prose Edda as a giantess. And I know I've mentioned Prosetta before, but that is the book of essentially Norse mythology that was written by Christian monks several years hmm. after. Um, so I guess you also have to take into account that they're writing through the lens of as Christian monks. Like maybe there's something yes. that they even left out too. Absolutely. And like saying she's a giantess, um, mm-hmm. that makes everyone believe like Jotuns were these giant beings, but really yeah. they weren't giants. Okay. That's just how it got translated. But anyway, Interesting. she's described then as a giantess, and in the continuing stories, she is um, considered a giant troll. Oh. So, giant, nevertheless. Um, they also describe her as having hooves for feet, and um, that she has a very impressive 13 tails. Wow. And she is in a perpetual bad mood because of her insatiable hunger for children. Wow. So, you know, that would make you pretty cranky. Um, Yeah. So each Christmas, Gryla comes down from her mountain dwelling to hunt for bad children. She places them in a sack and drags them back to her cave where she boils them alive for her favorite stew, which is like child stew, basically. Ooh, goodness. So the oldest poems about Gryla actually describe her as a parasitic beggar who walks around asking parents to give her their disobedient children. Her plans can actually pretty easily be thwarted by giving her food or by chasing her away. And originally she lived in a small cottage, but later she appears to have been forced out of town and into a faraway cave up in a mountain. Mm -hmm. So nowadays when you hear stories about Gryla, she's, you read that she's able to detect children who are misbehaving year round. Oh, so she can come at you whenevs. She well, she can detect it, but then during Christmas time, that's when she comes down from the mountains oh, okay. to search nearby towns for her meal. Like she's making she's making her list. So rather <laughs> Santa Clausy, in which she yeah she has her own list, but she's focusing much more on the bad children. Yeah, very much. Got it. So she leaves her cave with her little list and hunts down these horrible children. And then she carries them home in her giant sack. And um, then she devours them after making them into a delicious stew. And that's something that didn't they kind of like mm, downplay in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? It was more like oh, she yeah. just she wants to be a mom. That's her insatiableness. She wanted to be a that, mom. Yeah. But not actually not eat them. But oh, the no, real she, Gryla. Yeah, she really wanted to eat them. So, according to folklore, Gryla was actually married three times. Um, oh, all right. Pretty sure she killed her first two because they bored her. So, I don't know bored why to her death. third didn't. Yes. Bored to death. Bored to death. Patent pending. Yes. So, yep. her third husband, Lepaludi, is said to live with her in her cave, um, which is actually in the Demuburger lava fields which is in Iceland, 
and mm-hmm. that is also the name of a heavy metal band. Man, Iceland has access to all of these. Like, they know exactly where Gryla is. They also can just go. There's a stone's throw away from the North Pole where Santa is. You know, it's like they're all just right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so he lives with her in their cave with their big black Yule cats and their sons, which I will get to. But he is described as being lazy and mostly stays at home in their cave. Which this is why I don't understand if the other two bored her. How this guy isn't boring. Maybe he's good in bed. And it just doesn't mention yeah. that. I don't know. I um, was like, maybe he he tells a really good jokes. Maybe he's good in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yours is good too. <laughs> maybe he's like, um, you know, a game board, a board game aficionado. Has a new one for every week. Keeps her entertained. <laughs> yeah, you never know. But he just stays home. He's a homebody. So, all right. So now on to her, her sons. They're called the Yule Lads, which mm-hmm. you do see this in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. They're like little ghost yeah. kids. But these, these are much different. They yeah. all have names. Um, and they're named after either particular habits or characteristics, much like uh, Snow White's seven dwarves except much more on the nose okay um yep here here goes so (laughs) this first one is um a little bit strange sheep coat clog and he's a sheep sheep what coat sheep coat clog okay he is a peg-legged sheep fancier his fancying is... is impaired by his peg legs uh okay yeah so there's one <laughs> there's one then we've got Gulligok, which i think is the strangest one he likes to hide out in ditches or gullies and waits for an opportune moment to run into the cow shed and lick the foam off the milk in the milking buckets <laughs> so specific very particular <laughs> very that very is particular. his like- thing I like the foam, not the milk. Can you exactly. imagine I'm at a coffee store? Oh, all foam. <laughs> <laughs> Just the foam. Oh, he'd be in heaven. <laughs> Next up, we have Stubby. His name denotes his stature as he's unusually short. If your pie pan is missing, you can bet Stubby has stolen it to eat whatever pie crust was left behind. I'm Stubby. I am Stubby. <laughs> And stubby um, is me. <laughs> <laughs> this one is like the weirdest one to me for some reason. I don't know why. Spoon liquor. Liquor and thief of spoons. <laughs> Which I actually, I do connect with the, the thief of spoons having a chronic illness. A lot of people mm-hmm. talk about the spoon theory. They have a certain mm-hmm. amount of spoons and you run out of them. Mm-hmm. We all are just victims of the spoon liquor. <laughs> I think. Um, next up, we have Pot Scraper. He is a petty thief of leftovers. Ah, oh. of... that's Gavin. <laughs> well, and then you warn Gavin of this one, right? Bowl liquor. Mm-hmm. This one hides under your bed and waits for you to absentmindedly put down your bowl so he can steal and yes, lick it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, all the ice cream bowls that are on our nightstand <laughs> right now. Uh, door slammer. 
Did you just fall asleep? <laughs> Not for long. This guy plans on slamming doors all night. I see him as like a very angsty teen that's constantly like, Mom, I oh. hate you! Slams door. <laughs> so dramatic. So dramatic. And then we've got, I think you pronounced it better last time, Skier Gobbler. Oh, yeah, because you said, what was it, Skier or Skier? Skier. 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 So there will be no Skier, which is a type of yogurt, which you can mm -hmm. buy it in the store. Yeah, um, it's becoming more and more popular. There, it there's is. a hipster brand actually here in Sonoma County that makes skier. Yep. Yep. Um, if you have any, you will not because he will eat it. <laughs> right up. Yogurt eater. <laughs> Yogurt eater. Gobbler. Um, then we have sausage swiper. He will steal your sausage. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most German thing. <laughs> Beware. Your sausage will be stolen. <laughs> then we have Window Peeper, <laughs> who is That's... probably looking at you right now. Oh, it's so creepy. That's the creepiest one. Every all the other ones are like they like to lick and eat things. Yeah, or he just looks. steal like peeps. Oh, I don't like that. He peeps. And yeah, I have I have one, two, three, four, five, six windows just like right here. Uh, you're surrounded. I'm surrounded. So I don't know. He'd probably go from like window to window. Um, next is doorway sniffer. <laughs> what? He uses his incredibly large nose to sniff through doors, and he uses it as a. So there's a traditional Icelandic Christmas bread called leaf bread. Uh -huh. So he's locating this particular bread. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what he's looking for. Uh, Wait, so he's like the door. So is he at like, you know, the open door trying to sniff if there's a cake in that room like that? I'm assuming. So like if you're in bed at night and your door is closed and you hear like a. <laughs> oh, ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> it's just doorway sniffer. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. He's just constantly looking for that cake. Um, and then his other brother is Meat Hook. Ooh, menacing. Who <laughs> always brings a hook along with him so he can steal meat. So he's looking for chunks of meat. Like big chunks if he can't yeah. use just his hands. Jeez. But here, I don't know if it's specified like cooked meat. <laughs> I'm Gross. assuming. Um, and then we have Candle Stealer. Yeah. The final <laughs> one. And he follows children around so he can steal their candles, leaving them in the dark. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, that's actually pretty creepy. <laughs> that's actually pretty scary. I'm ha I'm... ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, I actually empathize because I'm insanely scared of the dark. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the last. Well, he must lab. be out of a job. People don't rely on candles anymore. <laughs> I wonder. He's so bored. There's got to be some like modern version of all of these, but these are the traditional Yule lads. All right. And then finally, very last piece, we have the Yule cat. We have a lot of Yule gonna, animals. Yeah, I was gonna ask because I'm like, I've, there's the Yule log, there's Yule this, the Yule lads. I had never heard of the Yule cat. The Yule cat is specifically the pet of Gryla. Okay. And. 
she she doesn't she's fine she'll get she'll take children in adults doesn't matter mm-hmm. um but unlike you know her owners she doesn't really care about what you did during the year it's a cat okay. she's like Meh, whatever the only thing that she cares about is that you received clothing for christmas oh okay gift clothing and everyone should be fine so you have to have like something snazzy on or else yeah otherwise she'll this tear cat's you quite the fashionista <laughs> <laughs> you and your 2008 chanel's i don't know <laughs> yeah um your last season dress <laughs> no 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 can't have that <laughs> Very cat like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This cat's catty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too much. But yeah, that's Gryla and that's her kids and her cat. And her husband. And her husband's whole- <laughs> sad sack husband. <laughs> Just at home playing board games. <laughs> <laughs> he's like trying to invent a board game you can play by yourself because he's mostly by himself. <laughs> No, I feel for him. I mean, <laughs> and she's not a looker. Yeah. No. Well. And I will have pictures attached of all of these, so everyone knows. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Oh, wow. I loved this episode. Well, the my story was pretty fucking gruesome. I didn't love that. Right. But hearing your stuff was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh Christmas. Slash Yule. Yeah. Um Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for doing all that research. That was a lot of different cryptids oh, yeah. that you covered. And there's so many more. I oh, just I, bet. Mm-hmm. I mean when it comes to these, like there's not a shit ton of information on them. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't hard to kind of be like, well, I guess I'll do several. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there were more that I was like, oh, could I include this one? Could I include that one? And then pretty quickly I was like, oh, no, 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 I can't. We'll, we'll run out of time yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. So uh, next Christmas. Save some for next year. Yeah. And I, I, I want to also include more from like different areas. Cool. Cultures. Yeah. Oh, well, hope you enjoyed our spooky episode it's not of the year that this is our penultimate spooky episode of the year we have one more after this but it is my one more but it was my last true crime episode of the year and my last paranormal yeah we hope you enjoyed it wow very heavy beginning and perfect ending (laughs) that's why we get (laughs) the true crime out of the way so that we can end on a much brighter note Note. Either a brighter note or, or just a like creepier a note. Creepy, it just depends. Fun note. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Gosh. Well, we hope you tune in next time for us. We'll have actually a special guest for our next yes. week. We're so excited. Yeah. Um, It'll be fun. Should we tease it? Should we tell them who it is? Or, I mean, we could maybe like a super tease. Okay. Um, this is somebody that I came across on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, she, I haven't talked to her about like what she wants to be put out there. So I don't want to give away too much. Well, we can talk about um, maybe the topic. So this individual is able to see and speak with non- non-humans. 
the dead. <laughs> the dead spirits. Spirits. Um, she has a lot of knowledge when it comes to spirit guides, ghosts, mm-hmm. um, guardian angels, elementals, all kinds of things. And um, I'm really excited to have her on to talk about what it's like to live with that. Yeah. Because it's quite a top. She goes in. She will. She answers questions constantly on her TikTok. She's super forthcoming. But I would like to be able to have her on for like, I guess not a one-on-one, a two-on-one. Yeah. Well, not like <laughs> to. We we have her scheduled in. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Same. Um. So yeah. So tune in for that for our witchy episode next week. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're wrapping it up here, guys. So thank you so much for listening. We're the New Itches. I'm Maria. I'm Laura. And you can follow us on the social meds at the New Witches on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, TikTok pending. That's to come soon. We're there. There's just nothing there yet. Yes, we don't have any content. <laughs> like you can go ahead, go ahead and follow us so that you can be the first to see when we do have content up. Because it is coming soon. And if you'd like to support the show right now, you know, we're just an independent little podcast and it's supported just by me and Laura and our small but mighty Patreon uh, members. So if you'd like to yeah. support the podcast, the best way is um, to be a member on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the new witches. And as a thank you for supporting us, we give you exclusive benefits and um, access to exclusive content as well. You also get private readings from Laura, handwritten thank you card. So yeah, it's we've really beefed oh, up an our exclusive pa- video oh. or audio too. We've got the cauldron mm-hmm. side chats. Yep, the cauldron side chats are now Patreon exclusive. So that's a bonus episode you get once a month, and then you get early access and an extended, an extended. cut. Yeah, an extended cut of creepy stories with Laura. Yeah. So lots of good stuff there. Um, again, that's patreon.com slash the new witches. Um, and if you'd like to submit your listener story for January, you've already listened to the December listeners episode by now. It came out the Sunday before this episode came out. If you'd like to get on it, you have a little less than a month. <laughs> so if you <laughs> if any sort of like creepy, witchy, fun, even if it's like in res- like Connor's story, if it's a in yeah. response to one of the stories we covered, um, if you have a, had a really crazy like scary dream, um, or if you even have like a question or something for us, oh totally, please, yeah, I, I would actually love to have some listener questions. Yeah, we'd love to answer that um, and hear that from you guys. So you can uh, submit your story slash question uh, to thenewwitches.com slash contact. Uh, so go to our contact page. We have a submission form there. Or if you'd prefer, you can email it in directly at thenewwitches at gmail.com. That's our show, guys. Thank you so much. Stay witchy. Keep it creepy. We love you. Love y'all. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.